Good morning. <clears throat> if I speak like this, do let me know if it's, it starts sinking. It is a good morning. not to say that we're all necessarily blissed out or having only pleasant sensations. But it is a good morning that we have the opportunity to get our tendencies, our patterns, the way that we habitually are with our mornings and afternoons and evenings and nights, to get those patterns into perspective, to bless them with the Bhagava, with the Buddha, with wakefulness, with investigation, to bless them with the compassionate one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world, to allow the holy name, the many holy names. The name that can be named is not the eternal name, so it is said in the great Tao Te Ching. The names dissolve, but the sacred names remind us, link us, surrender themselves, those sounds surrender themselves to the heart so that we can return to the core, to the ground, to the home territory, to true ease, true kinship with all that is. So to have a place, relatively speaking, I mean, that is safe. There might be a meteor, might crash through the roof. Might. Tree could come down. There might be an earthquake here today. And we could, I could worry about it, get charts out. I'm choosing not to worry about the meteor crashing, the tree falling, the earthquake. And to recognize that, relatively speaking, this is a sanctuary, a way place, a place dedicated to cultivation of this way home. That little by little builds in its resonance of people like yourselves, all of us, when we're aligning with true principle, calming, stabilizing, investigating, relinquishing, merging with ground, that that has a profound, tranquilizing, healing effect, not only on our our body, but on the environment, so that these sanctuaries build in power, Therefore, they are oases to be treasured, 
that we have that opportunity to be with kindred spirits. We might not even know each other. We all have extraordinarily different configurations in terms of our body, our backgrounds, our patterns. But we, we recognize our kinship and, and honor that, that we are dedicated to this path home, this way of thinking, speaking, acting, reflecting, that helps reveal obstruction, helps reveal causes of conflict, helps encourage us to, to relinquish and recognize and realize the truth. So let us take advantage of this day. We've arrived. We so have good fortune. Let's appreciate our good fortune. We all have challenges, but we have incredible good fortune that we can are able to come here, appreciate this shelter, this food, be nourished by the Dharma. And may we remember that there's countless others less fortunate, countless others who share the patterns that we share and get tangled in fear and rage and crippling anxiety and paralyzing doubt what to do, but that as we here practice blessing, being with, getting to know, little by little being freed from being hijacked by these patterns, we can share that blessing with those who can't be here. Because just as the waves on the sea might look separate, if one looks more deeply, these waves merge in the depth. Though we might feel so separate and discreet, we are part truly of one family, one suchness, one undivided totality. So I talk, uh, want to talk some today about the skillful means. <coughs> some of the devotional practices, bowing, chanting, mantra, recitation of discourse, teachings. A skillful means, an ancient skillful means. Across all the religious traditions. I'm sharing that these practices have been incredibly important to me. Each of us finds our own way. But it is wonderful to have the opportunity to share what has been helpful 
to oneself. This morning we chanted, just trying to make our way through the pronunciation and the chant of the Great Compassion Mantra, which can be quite intimidating. And I've heard practitioners make fun of see, see, soo, soo, And it's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. But after 36 years of practice with it, and it definitely took an effort to learn it. I don't think I can think of anything more important in my own life that has given me a framework in the midst of the swirl, the confusion, the challenges of, of daily life a framework for returning, aligning with my faith, with my trust in Dharma, in the protection of the pure heart. And that's similar with Mantras, holding a holy name. I just encourage you to explore it, even if it's not necessarily going to be your <clears throat> primary Dharma door. As our practice matures, we, we cultivate a variety of upaya, as the Buddha called them, skillful means, tools, we have certain ones that we have more of an affinity with, but even working with the ones that we don't have affinity with is useful. And in time, it might also give us the capacity to also have more means of being able to offer help to others. And in the course of our life, different in days and weeks and months and periods, different upayas, are more prominent, help us. We can develop an agility. Sajjan Chah would say, you know, when the obstacles come high, we learn how to duck. When they come low, we learn how to jump. We only have just one. One's better than none. But yes, there's steadying, there's calming. Maybe with the breathing. There's welcoming with kindness. There's investigating with inquiry. There's relinquishing with letting go. But for example, like holding a, a name, I've found it extraordinarily helpful over the years. Especially in South Africa, where there was... It's been a lot of violence, and when we arrived 20 years ago, 
18 people a day were being killed in KwaZulu-Natal, even though there had been the wonderful liberation. Mr. Mandela was, was elected. It was incredible. And relatively speaking, it went so much more peaceful than they thought. But still, the residue in, in the province where we landed, there still was all sorts of tribal conflict that had been insidiously fueled by the apartheid government. Mountain tendencies, anxiety, and worrying, fretfulness. to have a name, to allow that name, Namo Kwan Shri Pusa, to in daily life, in comings and goings, be held in a way that allowed the attention, those words to mix with the sensations. And sometimes if I didn't want to hold the name, then it was then revealed to what my mind was going to. And sometimes it's useful to think about something else. But so often it's just some pattern, some ridiculous, crazy, spinning in a circle, anxiety or worry or blame. And to hold the name, to, to allow the namo kwanchimpusa without driving anything out, allowed me to recognize that pattern. And so for a moment, rather than being born into entanglement in the resentful one, the fretful one, the overwhelmed one, the I can't take it another second one, that withholding the name, blessing it, in moments it can become an orphan a suffering, whining, raging being that withholding the mantra one realizes moving through the heart. One can, it becomes dharma, a pattern. Namo Kwanchimpusa. And as that, because the mantra is using the cognitive faculty, it's engaging that aspect that is related to thinking. But because the mantra is repetitive, we're learning how to use that faculty without getting so snagged by it. So it flows through and allows us to get the feeling for resting in awareness. And the mantra keeps us awake, but allows us to not be contracted, open, present, Yes, there's other, it's not the only skillful means. Sometimes we have to just get out there and do something. But what is the nature of our doing? Or sometimes the doing can be calmed. It can be more trusting 
if a mantra can help us. Countless examples of how, how it helped, but the you know, one that comes to mind in, in South Africa early on, we had a, a family that it was sort of a refugee from political violence, ended up on our land before we arrived. So we ended up sort of adopting them, getting to know them. There's some pain there as I think of that, one of the real bright spots, this young lad. They called us his white parents. A young Zulu boy, young man growing up. His aspiration was to be a driver. (laughs) We helped him through education. He finally got his license. Then he got his truck license. He wanted to be a driver. And then he was being exploited by an unscrupulous company. So then he wanted to be a policeman. And we helped him and supported him. And then he started telling us how dangerous it was. And he was hoping to get out. And then he ended up getting shot, killed. Um, Anyway, we had this feeling for the family, a mother, three boys, some of them getting into trouble a lot. But early on, uh, the eldest of the lads, Zuelin Zima, Zueli, which means, his name means, it's a difficult day to be born. What a name. It's a difficult day to be born. Zueli. But he also had another name that he liked, Codessa, which was uh, to do with the liberation for the democratically elected South Africa. But anyway, early on, he could speak a little English. My Zulu was very non-existent, but one day he comes up terrified, trembling. The guy next door is trying to kill me. with a knife. He's in a rage. So, so I think, well, I have to do something. But, you know, I wasn't keen to go meet a raging guy with a knife. But I, I knew I had to do something. So I and Tanisra had come. I just said, Tanisra, I've got to go next door. And she says, could you, you could get killed. I'm coming. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, my heart was pounding, anxiety, but I just held the name. And a practice, of practice when it's not just only when one's in trouble, but also one can learn the whole of the name, even with just ordinary activities. And the name reminds us to relax, to be at ease with the sounds of the world, to trust in the safe abiding of the listening that has kinship with all that is.
And as we allow that and deepen through our practice so that that becomes an upaya, a really skillful means for, for cultivating a, a refuge of safety, of trust, of readiness to respond. You know, my heart was beating and there was some worry. I still just allowed the mantra to blend with the beating heart and the worry. Walked over there, not knowing. As I got close, uh, this uh, Zulu man's dogs, I didn't know him very well at the time. Uh, his dogs started ferociously barking and they were chained up. Ferociously. I was scared to get too close, but I just called out his name. And he came out and you know those, you hear about people whose eyes are bugged out with rage and the veins are sticking out with rage. I mean, I couldn't believe this. the veins, the eyes, the redness, almost like frothing at the mouth. He was angry because I, I couldn't speak any Zulu, but I could just say the young lad's name. He wasn't with me, and I would say, hey, look, you stay here, he stays there. And now, I was scared of the South African police because they did not have a great reputation. But I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't speak properly. And there were some scary apartheid policemen and some of them were left over in the new South Africa. But I didn't know what else to do. So I just said, tomorrow, come to my ekaya, my house, you, and we'll go to the police. Namo Kwanchi and Pusa. And uh, so, anyway, the next morning, he comes out dressed in his best clothes, and the young lad dresses in his best clothes. The young one is in the back, Zueli, Zueli and Zima. Jimson's in the front, stony silence, holding it, Namo Kwanchin Pusa, inside. I didn't do an outer mantra. Drove to the police station. I didn't know what I was going to meet there. I go to the desk. There's an intimidating looking Zulu sergeant sitting there with this big scar. <laughs> I'm thinking, Lord have mercy. <laughs> but I knew my intention. I just trusted. I don't want anybody to get killed. Namo Kwanchimpasa. In English, I just said, hey, look, these. Somebody's going to get killed. And he basically just said, I'll take care of it. <laughs> What's that mean? But anyway. So he took them into a back room. I went with him. Holding my mantra. And he was so skillful. Got one to talk. Got the other to talk. Got this one to talk. Got that one to talk. In Zulu, and then he got them laughing. I don't know, I didn't, wasn't in on the joke. He got them to shake hands. 
They never became best friends. But, you know, no one was killed. No one was harmed. We managed to live next door. And over time, the young one, it turns out, used to attract trouble like you wouldn't believe. He embezzled 10,000 rands. He got this and that. He's sweet, but he was wounded in his heart. And the other one that had done the threatening, it's turned out, I mean, he's craggy. But over the years, uh, it feels like we have a Dharma protector next door. We've gotten real fond of him. The young one got in a lot of trouble. We tried to help him. I don't know if he's even alive anymore. But a sacred name can help one return to one's refuge. Bowing similarly. For years and years, I do a bowing practice every day. It's been so helpful. In the monastery, we used to, if we're going into a room, we would bow. If we're leaving a room, we would bow three times, just as a reminder. But as a, a lay person, I find it incredibly helpful, as a monk too, but as a lay person, of having a period of time, my bows take 20 minutes. But I remember, touch my bead, find my body, use a word to remember Kuan Yin or the Buddha. I remember my teachers. I remember my friends. I remember my family. I remember those I like, those I don't like. I remember our beloved dog. And take it all to the listening, the body, the thought, all in the bow to the place where it merges to the heart. I encourage you to explore and find your own skillful means. For me, something tangible, because if I get so locked in to the patterns, That, and then if I don't want to do it, then I, I think, hey, what is that? At least it reveals, no, 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 I want to think about this, I want to do that. He said and she said, I can't believe. That's useful just to see it, see the power of that, wow. And to practice, do I have to 24-7 just keep going round and round? Do I need to be an eternal, perpetual worrier? You can pay me to worry. Or can sometimes put it aside or bless it. Sutra recitation, very, very powerful. Again, it takes an effort to learn something. Like the Heart Sutra I've recited every day. When Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara was practicing the profound prajna paramita, 
she illuminated the five skandhas and saw that there are empty and she crossed beyond all suffering and difficulty. Shariputra form is not different from emptiness. Emptiness is not different from form. One resides, resetting the nervous system. For example, just even those first few lines, not always, but it's a skillful means when Kuan Yin was practicing the profound prajnaparamita, like us. She wasn't always the great bodhisattva. She was like us. Prajna means wisdom. Illuminating the five skandhas, illuminating these things we take so much to be me and mine, body and feelings and patterns. She saw they're empty, changing and empty. And just by reciting that, then when my pattern, me, well, what's about this, and what do I have to offer? And oh God, I just, and it's not fair. I don't have enough energy, and look at how much energy they have. And I've been doing this and doing that, and it's just not fair. And the pattern, not crushing it, but it's a pattern. What it is, honoring the feeling. It arises and ceases. So one's widening the gaze. The prajnaparamita, the wisdom, sees that yes, it is what it is, but it's not the story. It's, it's in a context. When we think it, that's the only reality, it's like taking a bubble to be the whole sea. It's a bubble. It's not fair. It's a bubble that pops into a immeasurable ocean of presence. And yet we get so trapped in the bubble. Recitation can help realign, encourage one to explore this. We can start modestly. You don't have to learn it all. God, I never could learn it all. Start by learning the simplest uh, mantra in Thailand they don't go for big long ones. You can do the short one, Buddha, Buddha. That's a practice many people use, and I've done it a lot, where just whatever one's doing, Buddha, it just means awake. Buddha. You can align it with meditation too, Buddha, and then and the bubble pops, but it reminds one to just stay there. Or a longer one, Namo Kwanchimpusa. Our return to the compassionate one. In Tibet, you find a whole people, and it's incredible, so much of them chanting Om Mani Padme Hum. They glow, even the most weathered, gnarled, nomad. 80-some-year-old woman hunched over with skin that's toughened up with the incredible fierce winds and the dryness. I mean, a real blessing in Tibet. You don't have to worry about smelling bad. You, My dog would have loved it there. 
because you get to the point where you're self-cleansing. You just, you can't get any dirtier and then, and then just, <laughs> but it's, you reach an equilibrium. It's so dry, nothing smells. Incredible. But you see beings that maybe classically you would call gnarled, but with the Om Mani Padme Hum. Om Mani Padme Hum. Homage to the jewel at the heart of the lotus. They shine. So many of the people one meets shine with happiness, with joy, with generosity. Just letting that mantra rather than getting lost in this thought and that thought, letting that mantra infuse the daily activity. One can begin, find a mantra, if it wants one to just explore it, and say, I'll chant this, be modest, even like, hundred times, ten times. But the short mantra, even with the bead, Namo Kwan Chien Pusa. And j- just notice one finds the touching or the sound, does it? And then one will notice, no, but I, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I don't think I really have time for this and, and we can, and then one will see that pattern. Maybe hold the mantra a little tighter. And that pattern's pulling at us. But, 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 I've got to check my emails and I've got to... Later, namo. Even just five minutes. Notice. And then one has a chance to align with the saints. As great strength Bodhisattva said in his image last night that I read from in the Sharangama Sutra of the value of holding the holy name, if one person is remembering another but another never thinks of them, then they don't, their energies don't meet. But if one remembers the other and the other remembers the other, they, they come together. When we allow ourselves to align with these ancient phrases, words. There's more the possibility of not being so blinded and trapped by patterns. I find it it helps me return to a place where my intuitive radar can function again. The great compassion mantra is hard to learn. But even a short phrase a day, if one learns it, it's amazing. And then one can, when one learns things, one can chat and in a group and let your energy mingle with our family where we're not worrying about being this or that. We're part of something wider than ourselves. Remember chanting in China at a way monastery out in the nowhere, and Tanish and I started chanting the mantra, and the old monks thought, "How do you know that?" They were so thrilled. And then magic can happen. 
First thing we did after we got married, Tanisha and I went to India to honor the holy places and the saints and sages that had blessed us so much, and we ended up going to Ajahn Chah's funeral as well. But we went to a place, and we, we chanted the great compassion mantra every day, and we did ceremonies that we're going to be offering that at the end of this retreat as a way of intending our life together and offering our lives for the welfare of the whole. And we went to the holy place where the Buddha spent 25 years in a range retreat. It's called Savati Chetavana. Ruins are there, and we were holding Kuan Yin's name and walking around. And we arrived there, and there was a monk. hundred yards away, he saw us. I didn't know what kind of monk. He was a Buddhist monk, but I didn't know exactly which kind. His robes weren't like the robes I wore when I was a monk, but I knew he was a monk. And there was, you know, people wandering around. We weren't the only ones. But he just comes to us, makes a beeline to us. And in English said, Kuan Yin told me you were coming today. I've been expecting you. I would like you to come back to my monastery in Bodh Gaya. I normally don't invite people there, but I know you're true pilgrims. Please come to my monastery. We didn't have a Kuan Yin sign on flashing. <laughs> I've never in my life had somebody say that to me, that we were Kuan Yin devotees. We made our way back to his uh, monastery. There he was. He built this monastery. He had a Burmese monk with him, only two in it. Every morning at dawn, we went to the roof of his monastery and chanted the great compassion mantra as the sun rose. And every day at sunset, we chanted the great compassion mantra as the sun set. He told us of the great trials he'd had to establish this monastery and how when he was in Vietnam in the midst of war, his master, had pointed to Cambodia and said, half the people in that country are going to die. This country is in an inferno, their own country. And he said, I'd like you to go to India and on behalf of our country establish a temple, a Buddhist temple. And he'd had all sorts of obstacles, but he had done that, trusted in Kuan Yin, and there was a beautiful temple there. And he gave us a little picture because he heard we were going to go to Thailand for uh, the funeral of our teacher, Ajahn Chah. And he said he'd heard that in Thailand you can give a little picture in Chiang Mai and, they, and an artist will draw a big portrait from the picture. He, he wanted us to take his only picture of his master. And, and I just said, we can't take your only picture. And he looked Perplexed, he says, What happened to it? He went, My master will look after you. 
whole story, but we went, returned. There's so many mysterious, sacred, magical responses you can open up. I do encourage you all to explore finding in your own lives ways to work with the holy name, with mantra, with bowing as skillful means. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.